Another thing that I just absolutely <clears throat> love about camp is the enthusiasm that you have in young people. It's an enthusiasm that sometimes gets lost in us. We should be jubilant. We should be filled with joy. We should be filled with happiness. We should be filled with gratitude because we recognize how much God has done for us, how blessed we are, again, regardless of whatever it is that we're going through. And to to some extent, it is a little bit easier for children because they're not generally, I say generally, they're not generally faced with the same pressures and trials that adults are. They're a little bit more footloose and fancy free. And you can see it in their faces. But they have that just zeal and excitement and that joy that you can see on their faces. And it's, it's contagious. It's something that we should take a, a lesson from. The other thing that I'm always reminded of when I'm around a, a group of people is that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, but that means that we're also made uniquely. We're very unique. And there'd be many, many stories you could tell of the way that those uniquenesses are expressed with young people because they have no filter. So young people and really old people have no filter. <laughs> and so they just wear everything right on their sleeves and, and, and let you know about it, which is good. It's, it's sort of a, I don't know, it's a refreshing change from passive aggressiveness, you know. Uh, so you just know what you're dealing with. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but... Yeah, one story I'll share with you just to, that highlights the uniqueness of children is I, I, I saw a couple of, lots of kids get mail at camp. They get packages. A lot of times they'll have treats or things that their parents or, or somebody who cares about them anyway will send them while they're at camp. And they're real excited, especially the younger they get, the more excited they are about, about those packages. And so they're happy to get them. And oftentimes, just the way as a conversation starter with them, a lot of times I'll just, if I know they got a package later in the day or whatever, I might say to them, hey, you know, did you get anything good in your, in your package? What did you get in your package? And so I was talking to, there was a brother and sister at camp. I was talking to one of them, and I knew he got a package. So I asked him, hey, did you get anything good in your package? And he said, yeah, I got, uh, well, in his case, he got some hot tamales. Got some hot tamales. I said, have you, did you eat them yet? He goes, oh no. I didn't even open them because once I open them, I can't help myself. I'll eat them all. <laughs> I touched base with him toward the end of camp and I think he came, I think he went home with camp with them unopened because he had, so I asked his sister, I said, what did you, this is totally different time. I just followed up with her. I said, hey, did you get anything good in your package? And she said, oh Yeah. And, and she had gotten some nerds. And I said, I said, well, have you eaten them yet? She says, no, I have self-control. <laughs> <laughs> and so you just, it's just hilarious, the kinds of, kinds of things. Out of the mouths of babes, I guess, you know. But what a fun time. And I'm glad for all your prayers. And, and I'll tell you what, don't underestimate the value of, of those prayers. Yeah, you know, everyone serves in different ways, but the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and we're so thankful for those prayers. Well, let's have a prayer of our own here to start our message this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we could spend in your word. Thank you for your great love with which you loved us, and how you demonstrated that love by sending your only son, Jesus, to become the perfect spotless, the innocent, the final lamb, the lamb that would die in the place of the guilty, 
as you bore all of our sins in your own body on Calvary's tree. You were buried and then you rose again victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Pray that we would see that the work that was necessary, the debt that we owed as a result of our sinfulness was paid in full by your finished work on our behalf and that there remains no more any sin that needs to be satisfied. The only issue now that stands or that man is confronted with is will you believe, will you accept or receive the free gift that is being offered to you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if you will, then you have life. And if you don't have the Son, then you don't have life. It's that simple. Pray that we could keep the gospel message clear and succinct and simple so that those who hear it would recognize it's just an issue of either you're going to keep operating independently and keep stiff-arming God and His provision through His Son or you're going to accept that you need Him, that you need to be dependent on Him and depend completely on Him to do for you what you could never do for yourself. Pray that the gospel message would be clear. Pray that we would understand as God's children, though, once we're born into your family, knowing that you'll never let us go, that we're a permanent part of your forever family. Pray that we would know also, though, that you want to change us. You have a plan for us, that you've created us for a purpose, a purpose to shine your light brightly into the places and spaces that you would bring us. Pray that you would convince us, even this morning, that you want us to have a sanctified life, a set-apart life, so that we could be effective ambassadors for you, that others would see a difference in us, that we would be set apart for your your use, that we wouldn't be focused on all the things that we want to do, but we would live life with the perspective of seeing that if you died for us, then we died too, that we're identified with your death, burial, and resurrection, that it's no more I who lives. It's Christ that lives in us and that we should live for the one who loved us and gave himself for us, but that a part of that involves you transforming us from what we were into the image of your son. Pray that we would have hearts that actually want that, that we would stop resisting you and preventing you from making those changes in our lives so that we're not as effective at shining your light as we could be. Pray that we would just be mindful of that and remember that although we'll never get to, we'll never get to the end of that road, that it's a process over time that we would still want to keep moving in that direction as we press towards the prize of the high calling, that we move toward progressively over time as we experience your goodness that we would experientially over time that we would grow in our faith and we would be changed we would allow you to change us so that we'd be more like you and less like us pray that you would convince us this morning that this is not just going through the motions and resisting those changes and clinging to the person that we love so much that we're we're so in love with which is largely fleshly oriented but that we would be men and women of eternity that we would have a heavenly mindset that wants to be changed from what we were into a better reflection, a better reflection of you. Thank you again for you reminding us of these truths. Pray that they would sink into our thinking and you would make us soft and malleable so that you could mold us and change us. Pray that this would be true of each and every one of us. Pray that it would be true of every young person who's hearing your truth this morning too, that that would be coming into their minds in a way that could transform them that they would want that for their lives, that they would want to learn and grow in grace and in knowledge and in love. Thank you again for this family of believers, this church building even that you've provided us. Thank you that we have each other, that we can gather together to learn about you, to sing praises to you, to even lift up prayers to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, the title of this morning's sermon is, May God Sanctify You. May God Sanctify You. As I was thinking about this word, may, we'll touch on it in a second. It's just a word that's used to express hopes or desires or requests that one would be making. But as I was thinking about it, the first thing that actually popped into my mind was an old story about the word may in my own personal life, so I'll share it with you. It's not long. Some of you are like, yeah, right. <laughs> no, it actually made me think of Mrs. Herb. Now think about the people that God has put in your life. When they're people of faith, when they are interested in allowing God to work in their lives, when they're allowing Him to impact others as a result of his light shining through them, they can have a great impact in your life. And there's probably a bunch of them that are in this room as you would maybe even look around. You might even see some of them that have had an impact on you because God's light was able to shine through them. Well, Mrs. Herb was one of those people in many of your lives, but she was in my life too. She was many things to me. She was a vacation Bible school leader. She was a Sunday school teacher of mine. She was... Uh, an actual school teacher of mine for a whole year. And not all of you got to experience that, but I got to experience a whole school year with Mrs. Herb and four other students. So it was a one to five ratio. That's a better ratio than they got going at the schools today. But five of us and Mrs. Herb spent the last year of the Christian Academy together. And one of the things that Mrs. Herb taught me, well, there's many things she taught me. She taught me many important things. She taught me many things about God. She taught me many things about God's Word. And then, because she was my school teacher, she taught me many school-related items. But she was diligent about teaching me about God's Word and about God Himself, but she was equally diligent and determined to teach me the difference between may I and can I. And it's something that has stuck with me to some extent. She was, I can report she was somewhat successful in that endeavor. But each time I would generally forget to, and I would say things like, can I go to the bathroom? And she'd always say, well, you certainly can. But the question we need to be asking is, may I go to the bathroom? And she would say that about any number of different things. But when we're thinking about even that idea of may I, may, and, and we're talking about this possibility. It's not, it's not something that's guaranteed. You're asking for something. You're requesting something. You're expressing sometimes a hope that may this happen or I desire that this would happen. But in most contexts, when you're saying, may I, you're saying, would you allow me to do this? You're requesting access to something or the ability to do something. And so when we think about that as it relates to biblical matters, we see it here in our passage today as Paul is going to utilize this language to express his desire, his prayerful desire, to the Th- that the Thessalonian believers be sanctified. And also his recognition in his prayer that God alone can empower that outcome. It's God that's going to have to make that possible. So as you think about sort of takeaways for today, it's just Paul expressing this desire and request that God would sanctify these believers. He then reminds them in the second verse that we'll look at, Lord willing, this morning, that God is going to have to be the one that is empowering this. And that's why I'm not, I'm not praying to you. I'm not saying, won't you sanctify yourself? I'm casting or I'm bringing this request to the Lord and I'm saying, may God sanctify you. May he do this to you as he works in and through you to bring about this result that he desires in your life. And I'm prayerful that God would undertake in your life to make that a reality. 
And then in verse 24, we're going to look at today, he's going to say, I want you to remember that it's, it's God that's going to have to bring that about. Don't get confused and start trying to produce this godly or Christian way of life through your own strength. You're going to have to live the Christian life the same way that you got saved, by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, as God provides and undertakes to make something possible that you could never do on your own. Without me, you, you, this is impossible. Without me, you can do nothing. That's what escaped me there for a second. And that's the lesson that's taught over and over. So turn, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Lord willing, we get through these three verses between 23 and 25. And we'll take a closer look because the last verse is just another example of Paul asking them to pray for him. And that's a very short verse. But this first, these first verses are a little bit longer. Let's read through them first so we kind of have a flavor for it. Because this starts Paul's prayer. For some of you who are new here, we've been doing a series on the Apostle Paul's prayers in the New Testament. We haven't 100% been going in order, but we've been working our way through them. So now I think we're on our 22nd prayer here this morning. But as we pick up in verse 23 of chapter 5, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here we talk about the power source. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. And we're going to end with verse 25, brethren, pray for us. So let's dig into this first verse. It's the longest and has the most in it. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. This is where we get our title this morning. May God sanctify you. I'm bringing this petition to God. I'm bringing this request to God. It's my heartfelt, prayerful desire now to the Lord that he would sanctify you. Now, when is the last time you prayed that for me? When is, that, when is the last time you prayed that for your children, for your friends in the faith, for fellow believers that you're sitting in the auditorium with? Now, as one of the reasons that we're doing this study is so that we could be reminded of some of the things we've maybe not been praying about that we ought to be praying about. We have a tendency to focus on the temporal realm and we at times have a deep concern, a real authentic concern for our fellow believers. And that's great. Like That's the first part of it. If you don't even care about them, you wouldn't be praying for them at all. But when we have that authentic care, desire that's wrought by God's Spirit producing that kind of love in our lives, then the question is, what are the concerns that we should have for them? Should they be fixed in the temporal realm exclusively? Or should there be some combination of a temporal concern for the temporal realm needs and problems and trials that they're facing, but also a focus on their spiritual well-being? And too often, we forget that. And this, this study has been great for me as the vast majority of these prayers we've been looking at have fixed focused on eternal matter, matters, heavenly matters, the spiritual well-being of fellow believers that is being prayed for in various different ways. And so now we have Paul here expressing that as he says, may the God of peace sanctify you completely. There is our Main, our main point for today. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. Same idea. It's a carryover of the same idea. It's tied to this idea of being set apart for the master's use. Being set apart, being, being made more and more holy like God is holy. As we become a reflection, a greater and greater reflection of him. As we experience practically and live out practically 
this identification that we have in Christ instead of who we were in Adam. So then as the Spirit of God produces His way of living, His manner of thinking and His way of living in our lives, then we become a better and better reflection of Him because it's God being manifest in and through our lives. So people, naturally, when we're being led and directed by the Spirit of God because we're focused and we're fixated on the author and finisher of our faith, we're looking to Jesus, our mind is heavenly is heavenly focused. As that's true and God is working in our lives, people can see him in us. They can see a reflection of him in us. And is it, a, is it a perfectly clear reflection? Well, of course not. Because we're on this side of glory. One day it will be. But unfortunately, too often, what they see is a reflection of who we used to be. Our former manner, our former identification in Adam. They see us putting on the clothing and the way of thinking and the way of living that's associated with rebellion and rejection against God. A worldly mindset instead of a heavenly mindset. And are Christians capable of wearing these kind of clothes even though positionally they're in Christ? And the answer is absolutely. But God says over time I want to teach you that there's no joy here. There's no peace here. There's no purpose here. We need to put off those kind of clothes, and we need to be putting on, not positionally, you're already clothed in the righteousness of God and you forever will be. He sees you as justified before him. But practically and experientially, are we going to be clothed in, in our day-to-day lives? Are we going to be clothed in the, those kind of clothes, the clothes associated with who we are, or are we going to be clothed in the righteousness of God in a practical and experiential way that people can see in our lives? That's the, that's the real question. And so when he talks about our whole, our whole spirit, soul, and body, all of us being preserved blameless, depending on the translation, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ or until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, I think it has both ideas there. We'll touch on that in a second. So it's really two desires that Paul is expressing here that he has for these believers that he's saying, may God bring this about in your life, but they're really kind of one and the same. Now, it's identified by this petition or request that uses that word may that we've already talked about. Again, may is used here to express both Paul's desire that this would be true, but also his request for God's assistance that God would intercede to make this a reality in these believers' life, that he would promote this and he would empower this outcome in these believers' life. But don't forget that Paul actually desires this himself. He wouldn't be praying this for other believers if he didn't see the value and importance of his fellow believers that he had invested so much into, that he had served with a servant or a doulos mentality, that he saw as sons and daughters in the faith, siblings in the faith also, brothers and sisters in Christ, brethren in Christ. He saw them as ones that he loved dearly. So he had a desperate concern for their spiritual well-being, which the byproduct of that was he had a desperate concern for their spiritual growth. To, to be concerned with somebody's spiritual well-being would be to be interested in them growing in grace, growing in love, growing in knowledge, understanding, growing in wisdom. God's desire is not that we would just stay put, that we would never thrive, that we would never grow, that we would never increase. He wants us to mature over time, that we would begin as babes, sure, but then we would take in what? The milk of the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God. We'd allow the power of the indwelling Spirit of God to have His way with us so that we could grow over time into adolescence and then into more maturity in our understanding. 
Now, I'm going to show you a chart a little bit later that kind of lays out some of these, these phases of sanctification. And, and it kind of has it as a little bit of a line going like this. In my experience, it hasn't been so linear as that. It has been growth over time, but it's been a little bit more like, like this. <laughs> I think that's probably actually a better picture in, in many ways. It hasn't been necessarily just like slight setbacks, like you might see this kind of a thing. It's, it's been a little bit more like a spiral or but a spiral that is going upward by God's grace. Or a little bit maybe like an EKG machine, you know. <laughs> that doesn't have to be, that doesn't have to be true, friends. Too often it's true enough that we can laugh at it, right? Because it often represents reality, but it doesn't have to. In any event, we keep moving. So this is Paul's desire. Because this is a series that's seeking to inform our understanding of prayer as it relates to ourselves and fellow believers to me, this is just something to bear in mind that you're never going to, again, pray for these things in the lives of other believers if you don't care about them, never think about them, have no concern for them at all. It sort of starts with that. God, give me a heart for people like you have a heart for people. Give me a compassion for people like you have. Break my heart for what breaks yours is what a song I love says. Now, as we keep going, we'll get into this first specific request. It's that may God sanctify you completely. Now, you skip across a a few phrases there because this is the main idea. May God sanctify you completely. Now, let's just start with this may God part of this because God is recognized as the power source behind the sanctification process. And, you know, too often we forget that we can't change people. You know, that's, that's actually a weight that we carry too often when we care about people, is we want to change them. And it's not always motivated by, it's usually, I would say usually not motivated by any bad intentions. It's usually motivated by a good intention, a good desire that there'd be positive change brought about in this person's life. So sometimes though we start to carry that weight though of responsibility for changing people. And is that a weight that God ever asked us to carry? No. And it's a weight that I naturally find myself carrying that God never asked me to carry that. He said, have a heart for people, be praying for people, be investing in people, be loving people, but you're not changing people. If people are going to change, it's going to be my power, my spirit working in and through them that's going to change them, but I can use you as sort of a cheerleader in that process as an encourager in that process, as the one who can come alongside and help lift up, not through your strength, but just as a vehicle that I'm using to help strengthen and uplift those that are downtrodden, that can be a role that you could do, but you're not responsible for changing people. And so that's what Paul is getting at here. Here's another passage. There's actually a couple I'm going to show with you here, share with you here that just remind us that it's God who's doing the changing. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it into the day of Jesus Christ. Who's the one who's going to complete this work that God started? God himself, right? God's power, it's God's work. He's the one who's going to bring all of us from a point in time faith that we would have through our lives to a place where we're glorified, where we're made to finally be into the image of the Son of God. 
where we are finally experience what it would be to be perfect without sin, to be fully glorified. God says every person that he justified, he will glorify. And in that, along the way, he's working to sanctify us experientially or we call it practically or you might want to call it progressively. And so there was a point in time where we were set apart positionally. God, he justified us. He found us, declared us to be righteous at a point in time. And then he, at the same point in time, he positionally saw us now as holy based on the imputed righteousness of his son that was credited to our account. So in that sense, in the past, we were sanctified positionally. But now we're talking here today about this process of sanctification practically looking forward to this point in time where we're fully sanctified and in glory in a permanent and eternal kind of a way. And so we'll touch on that a little bit more, but this is God who's doing this work. In Hebrews 12, 1 through 2a, we see that this idea again, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily ensnares us. They're not the same thing. Weights and sins are different things. We touched on that last week. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, but looking unto Jesus, now how is Jesus described here? As both the author and the finisher or perfecter of our faith. That's a good reminder. We're not perfecting our faith. We're needing to learn to trust him more. We're, leaning, we're needing to learn how to rest in his provision for us. We, we need to be persuaded and convinced that God is real, that he is good, that he's on our side, that he has a plan for our lives, and that that plan is better than anything we can conjure up. That's what we have to be convinced of, but we're not finishing our faith. God is working in us to bring about this result in and through us as he is working to make that possible. Now remember this in terms of context was Paul is saying, may God sanctify you, that Paul spent the bulk of the last two chapters in 1 Thessalonians by way of context discussing several aspects of living that would contribute to practical sanctification. And he now is reminding them that practical spiritual victory is ultimately only made possible through God's power and provision. So this is why he's bookending what he started out with saying, God's will for your life is that you would be sanctified. Then he spent almost two chapters giving different examples of what practical sanctification might involve or look like. And I'll give you a few examples here in a second. Now he's ending that by saying, again, I'm reminding you, God's desire or will or plan for your life is that you would be set apart for his use, but I'm reminding you now that it's God who is going to make this possible. That's why I'm praying to him that he would bring about these specific changes, these practical changes that I was mentioning to you for these last few chapters, and don't forget it. And don't forget it. You're not going to be able to do this on your own. So what were some of the practical things that Paul promoted as being associated with this practical sanctification or spiritual growth in a believer's life? Well, he talked about in chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, he talked about sexual purity. God's plan for you is that you would be holy. You would be set apart for his use. That means that you would be transformed more into the image of his son. Well, a part of that, especially even in our, it was true in the culture in Thessalonica, it's true in our day also, one of, the, one of the bigger issues or the things that is undermining that in a Christian's walk is there's all kinds of temptations on the sexual front that are not in line with what God says is good or right. 
And so he was touching on those things there. He was saying, you're not going to be pure and set, of, uh, set apart and holy unless you allow me to change your thinking. And by changing your thinking, then to change your behavior and your, even the words that you would say or the things that you would talk about even. But I would want to change that to make you more set apart for my use. Because people could see a difference in you as you weren't having those crude jokes and that crude language and acting on these desires that are ungodly. Now, are those desires something that um, you're under attack to have? Uh, uh, is that something that you actually face? And the answer is yes. It's something that Satan is holding out in front of us as one of the tools that he uses to distract believers all the time. Your flesh is pushing and promoting those kind of desires in some more than others. It's not, not everyone has the same hang-up with the same things. You know, very often that might not be something that you're dealing with, but for many, it's a real issue. It's just something that is attacking their thinking, trying to get them distracted from the mission, which is to be a set-apart one that is sanctified in a way that God can use most effectively. Now, can God use sinners? Come on, it's the only kind of people he has to use, right? But can he use us most effectively when we're continuing to resist him setting us apart and sanctifying and weeding out and transforming us so some of those things are less and less prevalent in our lives? And the answer is no. He can't use us as effectively until we can have some victory over some of those things. That's how he'll use us most effectively. But some people get this idea that, well, he can't use me at all. Well, he can't, he can't use one who is actively rebelling and resisting against him in carnality, has no mind for being used of the Lord. He can't use that person. But he can use the person who has a, genu a genuine desire to want to be used of the Lord even though he hasn't experienced victory or she hasn't experienced victory over every facet or every pocket of sin and temptation that has been plaguing them throughout their life. At different times, God can still use you there even when you haven't had lasting victory in some particular area. This just happens to be one of them. Now he goes on to talk about another things that people struggle with. In verses Chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he talked about the need for brotherly love as a part of the sanctification process. Some of you are like, well, I don't have any need for that. I, I love all kinds of people. Maybe. I bet at times you do. When the Spirit of God is directing your life, you do, because the first fruits produced by the Spirit of God in your life is love followed by joy and peace and all the things that you're desperately searching for, God's Spirit wants to produce in your life. But sometimes what you think is love is actually selfish. It's love up until the point it costs you anything. It's love that's conditional. It's love that's only based on a reciprocal response in somebody else. It's love that is not patient it's love that is not enduring. It's love that is not driven by God's Spirit. It's some kind of human, temporal love that's there in a moment as you're pleased or satisfied with somebody and it's gone as soon as they displease you. It's really easy to love the lovely in a human sense. So that's easy. Lovely people are easy to love. I mean, come on. That's like a math equation, Right? God's kind of love involves loving the unlovely. Yeah, that's your spouse. That's that, <laughs> that's that friend that keeps stabbing you in the back. That's that person who, from a distance of 200 yards, you perceive they gave you a 
gave you some kind of a, a bad look. They made a face at you. From 200 yards, you saw that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're against me. Are you sure? Are you sure, Mom? Did you talk to them about it? No, I saw it. I saw it on their face from 200 yards. He then talked about personal independence, this idea of not being tied up and captivated by other things. He talked about understanding Christ's return. Is that a part of being sanctified, is that you'd have a greater understanding of the imminent return of Jesus Christ and how we should be living in light of that? We should be looking forward to it eagerly and desperately. Each and every day we should wake up with a mindset that says, may it be today. Lord, I hope you come back today and I hope you find me faithful, not through my own strength, but by my willingness to use today in a way where I'll let your spirit work in and through me so that I can celebrate your return. I can be excited that you caught me in a place where I was trusting you. You came back to find me doing what it was that you asked me to do. Again, not through my own strength, but because I was trusting you. How great would it be, be, be that you would have the Lord return and not catch you unaware, not catch you unprepared, not, not catch you in a place where you're doing your own thing, promoting the things of the world, promoting the things of the flesh, cheerleading for Team Satan. Wouldn't it be great if when come, God comes back, you'd be an ambassador for him in those moments? That as he came back, you'd be trusting him and living for him and letting him have his way in your life. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a lot better to be found in that state? Too often, if, when we're being honest, we'd say there's very little chance of that happening. Or we might say, I guess that's going to be kind of a coin flip, huh? But wouldn't it be nice if we just let God have his way with us and mature us and set us apart more and more so that the odds would be greater and greater than when he would come back, we would be enjoying him. We would be trusting him. We would be following him and serving him and letting him have his way in our lives. Wouldn't you rather be found in a place of maturity like that than a place where he was effectively saying, you're still a baby? By now, you should be teaching others. Why, why am I having to come back and still f- give you milk? I find you still drinking on the bottle? When you've had 40 years to learn to trust me and to digest something a little heavier, a little bit meatier, a little bit weightier, and you, to grow in your, in your understanding and, your, and grow in grace and to grow in love. That would be better, I think. Another thing he talked about was respect for leaders, church leaders, but leaders in general. He talked about loving other people, rejoicing. He talked about learning to pray and have a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude. He talked about having a concern for public worship, gathering together. All that happened in chapter 5, in about 20 verses in chapter 5. So on the heels of him giving all of these practical examples about what a set-apart life might Involve or the types of things that God would want to promote in our lives, he's now going to remind them that one, God has this general desire to sanctify you and may God, God is the one who's going to have to bring this about. God alone has the power to make your efforts successful. You have to have the desire, but God wants to bring this about. Now, as we think about what Paul is saying here, may God sanctify you, Paul is not negating 
the need for a positive volitional response on the believer's part. Paul's not saying, may God come and do this to you against your will. Because God honors our volition. God does not force himself on us in that sense. But God is desperately seeking to conform us into the image of his son. He never gives up on us. He's always working in us. He's trying to influence us. He's even coming alongside of us and chastening us and disciplining us. He's trying to get our attention. He's tapping on our shoulder. He's hammering on our heads. And he's trying to get our attention. But he doesn't force the changed mindset. He promotes it, but he doesn't force it. You have to choose this. You need to trust God to sanctify you, but you must know first that this is worthwhile. You must reckon that you are dead to sin. You, the bondage you were in to sin has been broken. You must understand that or consider yourself to be in a place of victory. How could you consider yourself to be in a place of defeat and failure and expect to have victory? You are in a position of victory because God gave you that victory by empowering you with a power source that makes you supernatural in a sense. It's like you're going around like Iron Man with this power source inside of you that makes you super. It makes you no longer purely human in a sense because you have the divine creator God living inside of you through the form of the Holy Spirit who is empowering you and is strengthening you and is trying to produce in you this outcome. You have this ability for that to be true but not through your own efforts. You need to reckon and recognize that you have that. Then you need to make a decision. The Bible talks about that as presenting or yielding yourself to God to be used by him. Now again, not through your own strength, but as you're persuaded and convinced that God is real, that his power is going to make this possible in my life, I'm going to stop resisting, stop fighting, stop preventing, stop quenching the spirit, and I'm going to let God have his way with me, but ultimately it's a choice on your part. Turn to Romans chapter 6. I want to show you this progression in thinking here or understanding that would have to happen. Romans 6 verse 6. And if you don't have a Bible with you, I'll put it up here on the screen, but we do quite a bit of page turning with the kids at camp. It's good to know where these addresses are in your Bible. Romans 6.6 6 says knowing this. This is the first step in this three-part process I was talking about. You, you know something, you reckon it, so you consider it to be true or accept it to be true. You kind of acknowledge it. And then you re- the result of all of that is then you present or yield. So here we have knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. You died, meaning the moment that you put your faith in Christ, you were identified with his death. Who you were in Adam, that part of you died because now you're you're a new creation in Christ. So the power of God's spirit was now put into the equation where you have the temptation and the influence of the old sin nature. That's true, it wasn't eradicated, but your identification went from being in Adam to now being in Christ, being this new creation in Christ. And now with the new nature and the spirit of God working in you, you have this kind of, this conflict or this ability to now choose between 
the influence and temptation of the flesh in the world or the influence of God's spirit working inside of you. But you have to know that your old man was crucified. Why? That the body of sin might be done away with. Now that doesn't mean eradicated. It it means to be stripped of its power. Some people have taken that to mean the elimination of the temptation of the sin nature. It doesn't mean that. It means that it would be stripped of its power or its right to rule. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. This was positionally true the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ is this changed. You were, now, you were no longer in bondage to sin anymore. Why, why would we who have been freed from the power of sin continue in it any longer, Paul asks the Roman believers a bit later in this book. The spirit of life and godliness, he says in chapter 8, has given me freedom from the law of sin and death. We're talking about knowing, being aware that you now have freedom in Christ that you didn't have previously. Now turn to verse 11. The second part of this is likewise you also reckon or consider yourself to be dead indeed to sin. Make that your personal disposition. That you're taking this and internalizing it. I know it and now I reckon it to be true. On a personal level, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus as a result of my identification with Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 13. What would the final kind of step of this be? Well, now that I I know this and I've made this personal, I reckon this to be true, now do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but is that a possibility? Yeah, he's saying don't do it, but he wouldn't be saying that if it wasn't possible. Don't do that, but instead present yourselves to God. That's a volitional act on your part. God didn't force that. Present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members, your body, as instruments of righteousness to God. Basically make a decision now to allow God's spirit to work in your life so that you'd be available as an instrument, as a vehicle for him to use to shine his righteousness into an unrighteous, ungodly world. A world that is desperately wicked and is dark, is described as being without Christ and without light because it's dark. Man loved darkness rather than light. So as we talk about may God, this again is putting the focus on God working in us to bring about the sanctification process, but remembering that God isn't doing this against your will. You still have to prayerfully desire this. You have to want this. You have to decide this for yourself, that this is a life worth living. I'm convinced, I'm persuaded that this is the way that I want to live my life. And Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to, I'm going to put, I'm going to give myself over in a sense of confidence. I'm going to put my confidence in you to bring about this outcome in my life when I want this, when this is my desire, when I'm choosing this. Now, how is God described? We're going to have to move a little bit quicker. He's described as the God of peace. Now, we talked about the peace of God. We talked about peace with God and the peace of God, but we talked about that last week as we talked about instead of being worried or or being anxious about things, that we could let go of things and give them over to God and we could experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that would guard or keep our hearts and minds. Now as we think about 
God being described, though. Here's just a nice way that he's described as the God of peace. And God provided access to a harmonious relationship between himself and man through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And remember last week, we, ca- we talked about that as peace with God, and we looked at a passage in Romans about that. But then we also dis- discussed the peace or the inner harmony or tranquility provided by God as a byproduct of a believer's close walk with God. As we experience intimacy and fellowship with God, that we would experience this harmony. We would experience the peace with God First, and then we would experience this, the peace of God, the peace that is provided by God. And as you think about that, to describe God as the God of peace is to view God as the source of all practical spiritual blessings and well-being for believers. He's the one that provides everything that we need to give us this sense of inner harmony and tranquility that he provides as a result of depending and trusting on him. So remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, and, and so forth. And so we see that this is peace provided by God. And descriptions of God in this manner are found throughout the New Testament. We're going to go through this without even really reading them. Romans fifteen thirty-three, he's described that way. Romans sixteen twenty, God is described as the God of peace. Second Corinthians thirteen eleven. If you need these references, you can get them from me after. Second Corinthians thirteen eleven, the God of love and the God of peace. Isn't that a nice way to think of God? He's described that way. Philippians four nine, and the God of peace again is how he is described. So that's just a passing thing here. May God. What kind of God? The God of peace. May He sanctify you completely. Now let's look at this. Sanctify you. Now, this request serves as a bookend to chapter 3. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. This was the first part of it where Paul was, before he went into all those practical illustrations and examples or categories of different things that would apply to practical sanctification in chapters 4 all the way through the first half of chapter 5. This is the first part of it, though, in chapter 3, verse 12. And 13, where he was saying, this is God's desire for your life. Here it is up on the screen. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. But then what does he say? So that he may establish your hearts. Now who's doing the work? God. Who has to be willing? You. But he wants to establish your hearts to be what? How? Blameless. In holiness. He's talking about sanctification there. Before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. God wants to sanctify you. He wants to make you blameless and holy. He wants to be the one who produces that in you. But you have to want that too. May God sanctify you. Do you want that? Are you praying that for yourself and for others? May God sanctify me. Now, this is a reference to practical or progressive sanctification. The word translated sanctify means separate or set apart. He wants to make you separate or set apart. What is the alternative, friends? What's the alternative to being separate or set apart from the world? What's that? Conformity. Conformed to the world. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants to set you apart. The thing you need to remind yourself of is the thing I try to remind myself of, I try to remind my kids of, is you are not here to fit in. Your purpose in life isn't to be accepted by man. You are accepted by God, and you want to live a life that is acceptable to him. Let's say that again. You are accepted by God already and he wants you to live a life that would be acceptable to him. When you think about acceptance, it's not my acceptance. 
It's not convincing everyone here that you're doing so great spiritually. It's before the Lord living a life where you are doing great because you are trusting Him and you are allowing Him to make you different, to transform you, to set you apart, to make you different. There's a song I love. We've never gotten around to it as a song of the month because I love too many songs. (laughs) But it says, I want to be different. I want to be changed. Till all of me is gone and all that remains is a light so bright. It's a, a, a light, the light of him. That's what all I want to have left. Less of me and more of you till it's what? None of me and all of you. Do you really want that? Some of us are so infatuated with ourselves that we could never let go of ourselves. You mean I would disappear? Hmm. But I love myself so much. <laughs> For God to appear fully in my life would mean I would have to disappear? Yeah, that's going to be a problem for me. But that is, that is true. So practical sanctification, it involves the people of God being separated from the world, being separated from themselves, and becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, sanctification differs from justification in several ways. So these are big words. We may have a series on this soon, just like basic fundamental doctrines. But when you think about words or doctrinal words from the Bible, we have justification, which is to be declared to be righteous. Or it's a judicial determination from, from, by God, the moment of your faith in his finished, the finished work of his son that is applied now to you where God makes a judicial determination that because you have now accepted Christ's righteousness that has been applied to your account that can cover you now in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ so that your account is now in a good standing with God not on the basis of what you've done for God but on the basis of what he's done for you. The moment of your faith and acceptance of that God now makes a judicial determination like a judge would. He would say you are now declared to be righteous. Now did you all of a sudden become righteous? No, you became clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His righteousness was applied to your account. And so God said, you are now justified. You're declared to be in a right standing with me. Now, the second word, though, that we're talking about here, we're talking about this word sanctification, this idea of being made holy or set apart. And so justification is a one-time work of God. It results in a declaration of not guilty before him. So our sin can never be... Uh, cause us to be guilty before God anymore because of our faith. That sin has been fully dealt with on the cross and now it was applied to our account through faith and God now has declared us to be in a right standing with him. So we apply that work of Jesus Christ to our personal account and we are justified. Now practical or progressive sanctification though, it's a process. This process of being set apart, it begins with this point in time of justification. So if you're going to think about that, we would have this point in time make a dark circle, a point in time where we were declared to be righteous before God on the basis of our faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone, apart from works, apart from human efforts, apart from church rituals, by faith alone. We, we accepted what God had done. We were declared to be righteous. And now we have a line with an arrow at the end of it where we're in this process now over time of being progressively, practically, experientially sanctified. 
And that happens and continues throughout our life. Justification is just the starting point in one's Christian life, but practical sanctification, it's the line itself moving forward as we go through life. Now, here's a little bit of a chart that talks about the three tenses or phases of sanctification. A lot of you have seen this chart as it relates to the tenses of salvation. And you would have, on one side, you would have, well, well on, this, on this side here, you would have justification, then usually in the middle would be sanctification, and then our last big theological word would be glorification, this idea that one day we will be freed from the very presence of sin, and it would say up here the three tenses of salvation. But there's three parts to sanctification too. Okay, so there's positional sanctification where our standing before God based on all of our sins having been paid for by Christ at a point in time in the past, but when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we were put positionally in Christ. We were determined or declared to be righteous even though we had been negative righteous. We were completely unrighteous. We were unjust. We were, un- we were sinful. We weren't seeking God. We, weren't, we, weren't, we were in fact enemies of God. God put us into a right standing with Jesus, with himself through our identification with Christ when we are placed in Christ because of our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, God set us apart. If sanctification means to be set apart or to be viewed by God as being holy and acceptable to Him, this positional sanctification happened at the same time we were justified or declared to be in a right standing before God. But now this is what we're talking about right here. This process over time. This was a point in time. This will occur at a point in time. Right here we're talking about a process over time. And it's referred to in different theological terms as experiential sanctification, practical sanctification, or progressive sanctification. All it's really talking about is our present walk though. Our condition before man. Are we being set apart from the world? The alternative is that we're being, again, conformed to the world. But are we... We're in this process of God wanting to set us apart from the world, from our flesh. He wants to set us apart in a way that we could serve Him. And this is happening over time as we're living the Christian life. And here's that line I talked about with these little setbacks. I hope that's been true of your life. Okay, it hasn't been true of mine, but it, it, it could be true. This would be ideal here, just these little bit of setbacks, but just continuous kind of constant growth over time where you start from being a baby in Christ, move into adolescence, and eventually to maturity. And one day we're going to experience what we call the third phase of sanctification. They say tense of it in the future because it's a future tense. We are going to be ultimately sanctified in the sense that we'll be made holy like he is holy as we'll be given a sinless, spotless, perfect, glorified body. We will be like him, conformed to his image. We're described as being without spot, wrinkles, or blemishes, glorified with Christ. We'll experience that in its final phase or its final shape. And so those are, it's a three-step process. And for the sake of time, we have to move a little bit faster here. And so I'm not going to describe it in as good a detail as I, I planned on. But that first stage, it occurs again at the beginning of your Christian life. And here's a verse about this. Likewise, same verse we looked at earlier. Reckon or consider yourselves dead indeed to sin but alive to God. That happened at a point in time. And then you talk about the second stage of sanctification covering the rest of your life. As you mature, you're slowly transformed to be more like Jesus. And here's a passage about it in 2 Thessalonians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. What does that imply there? Not imply, it says it directly. It's a process. We're being transformed into the same image. The image of who? Christ. 
from glory to glory. How are we being, how is that happening? Just as by the Spirit of the Lord, what's making that possible? God's power source. It's a never-ending process. Nobody has arrived. You have to remember that, that nobody has arrived. There's nobody who is fully sanctified in this life, but that is God's work. That is what God's plan and purpose for our lives. Paul tells us this, and this is the Apostle Paul talking, not somebody who experienced no spiritual growth. This is somebody who experienced a lot of spiritual growth, and he's saying, not that I have already arrived or attained or am already perfect, but I press on anyway. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I want to lay hold on that for which Christ has laid hold of me. He had a purpose for my life. I have a desire to lay hold of that, to be set apart the way that God wants me to be set apart. And then that third and final stage of sanctification again occurs in the future when believers die, their spirits go to be with Christ or when he comes back. Since nothing unclean can enter heaven, they must be made perfect at that point. The sanctification of the whole person, body, soul, and spirit, will finally be complete when the Lord Jesus returns or we go to be with him, but we won't get our glorified bodies until he returns and we receive our glorified bodies. And here's a verse about that, also in Philippians chapter 3.21, who talking of God, will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. That's what we have to look forward. Now we have this word, Paul's prayers, may God sanctify you completely. And that just carries the idea of through and through. May you be sanctified not just a little bit, but through and through, entirely, wholly, totally sanctified. That's God's will for your life. Now we're setting back all these different categories. We're like, God, you're not making any change there. I'll I'll let you change these things, but I'm not letting you change those things. And Paul's like, no, my prayer for you is that you'd be set apart, changed completely through and through. So it's presented as the ultimate objective of the process of spiritual growth that we'd be sanctified or set apart completely through and through. And then we get to the second kind of expansion of that same idea. May your whole spirit, so that idea of through and through, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. This idea of, of complete or through and through practical sanctification is carried on with this idea of the whole spirit, soul, and body. And these are the three parts of the human composition. The spirit is the highest and most unique part of man that enables him to perceive the divine and communicate and relate with God. That's not something that animals or other creation has. Man also has a soul, though, the part of man that makes him conscious of himself. It is also the seat of your personality where you make decisions, where your volition is, where your intellect and your emotion is. It's like the air traffic control center for the human body. That's your soul. And then the body is the physical part through which the inner person expresses himself and, by, and how you're immediately recognized by others. It gives you your individuality. It's the, it's the carcass that's carrying around, in a sense, your soul and spirit. Now, what is the second thing here? A a continuation again. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, all of you, the the totality of the human composition, may it be preserved blameless. And it refers to being kept in a manner that is acceptable to God. When you see that word blameless, your takeaway should be acceptable. Paul's prayer just continues that God, may God sanctify you through and through and allow you to be completely acceptable to preserve you or keep you in a way that is acceptable to him. What a wonderful prayer. May my life be acceptable in your sight, O God. 
acceptable. My words that I say be acceptable, David prays about in, in one of the Psalms. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God, until when? Well, until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ or at would imply that when God evaluates our lives at the Bema seat of Christ or the judgment seat of Christ, if you, if you prefer it referred to that way, when he returns. But I believe it implies until, meaning throughout this present walk leading up to Christ's return too. I think both ideas are in view there. Now we get to the power source here. We can get through this quickly. Verse 24 says, He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. He's already shared that truth effectively by using the, the phrase, May God sanctify you completely. May God keep you in a, in a way that is acceptable. Uh, keep you in a manner that is acceptable. Bring about a way of living that is acceptable to him. He's the one, though, who is faithful, so he very explicitly and directly reminds them of this. And believers have to remember that prayer is the primary means for accomplishing anything. We ask God for his divine enablement. We ask him to undertake in our lives, and then we get out of the way. When you ask God for anything spiritually beneficial, you can anticipate that God is going to fulfill your request because it's in alignment with God's faithful character, and it's already in alignment with his will. God provides his children what they need. God gives his children good gifts. That was a message that we had at camp. And here's a passage about this, 1 John 5, 14 through 15. We can have this confidence that if we ask anything, now what's the caveat? According to his will, he hears us. What's implied in that is not only does he hear it, but he answers us in a positive way. Why? Because we're asking for the very things that he's wanting us to desire anyway. So we can know that God is faithful, that he's going to do this. If we pray that God would sanctify us completely, that he would preserve us blameless, that he would keep us acceptable to him. If, we're, if that's our prayer for ourselves and others, God's going to do that. Why? Because he already wants that. That's already his will. And so then we end with our last verse for Thessalonians 5.25. Brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. And this is just another example of Paul not seeing himself above having spiritual needs. He knows he has spiritual needs. He's saying, I want you to pray for us too. I'm praying these things for you. I'm praying that God would sanctify you. I'm praying that God would preserve you blameless. But will you pray for me too? You, will you remember to pray for me? And he says brothers, you know, brothers and sisters. He's talking to his faith family here. But he solicits this prayer for himself. And we've seen him do this already in our series here. We've already seen him do it in Ephesians 6, 18 through 19. We saw him do it in Colossians 4, 2 through 4. We're going to see it one more time in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, 2. So may our God sanctify you through and through. May our God sanctify you through and through. And you think about Paul's prayer in that regard. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, does that reflect my prayers? Does that reflect my perspective as I think about myself? As I think about the one and others that God has called me to have a heart, a burden, and a compassion for? See, requesting something from God, it expresses an understanding that God needs to undertake. So when I pray this to God, I see that this isn't going to happen apart from your enablement. About from, apart from your provision. So I need to bring this to God. And so saying, may God sanctify you is to express that understanding that we need God to make this possible, but we need to be willing. We need to be willing. 
And as believers learn God's will for their lives, this is something that should become more and more a thought on your heart, that I would have this prayer for myself and for others and recognize that God's provision and power is going to be critical to anything godly ever being manifest in my life or ever being manifest in the lives of my fellow believers. So we're going to not forget verse 24 too as we think about he who calls you is faithful who also will do it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we could spend together in your word. Thank you for this great reminder that you have a plan for our lives and it's not just to live out, just wait for the end, just let time slip by, not just walk our way and traipse our way through the world without any thought towards spiritual growth, without any thought towards the mission that you have called us to, the mission that you want us to accomplish, and the empowering source of your spirit to make that possible. Pray that you would convict us and challenge our thinking in our hearts, that we wouldn't be just thinking about all the things we could acquire in this life, all be thinking about how other people think about us, be thinking about all the problems with the world, but we would be thinking about how you want to transform us and set us apart in grace for your use to serve you, to minister to the lost and to the church or believers, the body of Christ alike. Pray that we would have